So this is all about that moment, isn't it? And I like to call it the moment of truth. That moment where you've given this amazing consultation, you've wowed them with your product or service, you've done your best to give them as much value as possible. When you get to that moment, that moment of truth, when you say, would you like to hire me? Some people are going to say yes right away, while others are going to respond with questions, concerns, challenges, fears and objections. What do you do? Welcome to the Get Real About Business podcast, where we uncover the real deal about automation, getting leads, retargeting and sales funnels. You know, the stuff that'll actually make you money and doesn't empty your wallet. Get valuable, actionable information from me and other experts in the online marketing space, which will boost your business beyond its current boundaries. Prepare for some hot tips today. I'll be your host, Clive Maloney. Hi, I'm Clive Maloney. Welcome back to another episode of the Get Real About Business podcast. This is episode seven. Really great to have you back with me again today. In our last session, we were looking at Facebook marketing, and we did a bit of a Q&A session around that. And most of that was very much around how you grow your audience and ultimately create engagement that leads towards some kind of consultation or sale. But I never like talking too much about creating traffic or generating leads without spending a little bit of time looking at how you actually convert those leads. I am going to be spending some time looking at how you can conduct your consultations later in the year. I've, I've had several requests around that already. But what I wanted to focus on today is how you go about handling objections. This is the hardest part of any sales conversation. You might have the best product on this planet, but no doubt at some point somebody's going to say to you, yes, but. And you know that sinking feeling when you think you've done this great consultation and you think your prospect would really benefit from what you do, but they've got a problem. What do you do when that happens? So today we're going to be looking at how you go about handling those sales objections. And what I've done for you, as always, is I've put together a bit of a how-to guide on this. There's a cheat sheet that comes along with this episode, and today's is particularly good. I've spent a lot of time over this cheat sheet. What I've done is I've outlined all of the seven main objections that we're going to be talking about today, the different categories that it goes with it, how you go about responding it, so the four-step process that I'm going to take you through today. And I've even included a little exercise that will get you thinking about how you're going to handle sales conversations going forward. So it captures a lot of what we're talking about today, and I think that's going to be a handy reminder for you going forward. If you want to get that, just go to getrealaboutbusiness.com forward slash seven. It's just a PDF download. You can just go and click on the link there that you'll find on the page, and you can get that there. In the meantime, let's get on with the show. Today's episode is particularly important. Whatever it is that you do, there's always going to be a time when you come across some kind of barrier, some kind of obstacle for you to move forward with a client. And you've probably been there a hundred times, if not more. No matter how good you are, no matter how good your product or service is, if you cannot handle sales objections, you're not going to get sales, you're not going to make money, and your business is not going to grow. Now, the chances are you're probably already doing this to some extent, But we can all get better, right? And I freely admit, handling sales objections was something that was a massive barrier for me. When I first started my company, probably about five, six years ago now, people would come to me and they'd have a consultation with me and then we'd get to that end bit and I'd almost see it coming. I was kind of 
dreading them to come up with some problem. And it usually was, I can't afford that. And I realise now as we talk about it later, it is the white lie, I can't afford it. It's the easiest thing for people to say. And it can often mean a lot of other things as well. And part of the issue as well is probably I hadn't claimed, well, I'll say probably, definitely at that stage I hadn't actually claimed my value as a professional. I kind of felt very new to the game, even though I'd been involved in coaching and training for sort of 20, 25 years. I was new in business and therefore asking for sales was just not something I was used to. Now, there's a whole lot we could say about psychology and sales, and we'll probably do an episode on that sometime in the future. But I want you to get your head in the game right now and face facts, there are going to be objections. So it's important that we deal with this, right? So today, what we're going to be looking at are the seven main objections that you hear. And believe it or not, that's pretty much it. People may put it in lots of different ways, but ultimately, it's only seven objections that you're ever likely to hear. So we're going to cover what those are. We'll talk about the four categories of sales objections. And then we're going to start looking at how you handle these objections. And so for that, I'm going to give you a four-step process to responding to objections. And within that, I'm going to cover the magic question. This is a question that is so simple, yet so powerful for moving that conversation forward. And it's really great for breaking down barriers. So it doesn't feel like you're going up head to head with your prospects and it's it's not coming across as all pushy and salesy. So that's the magic question. We're going to be covering that. I'll talk about scripting. And also I'm going to go into quite a bit of detail today around money objections because they seem to be the biggest. And as I said before, they do tend to be the white lie. They tend to be the things that people say when it really means something else. We'll explore that today. I hope that sounds good for you. What I can't do is understate how important it is that you get good at handling sales objections. When you're good at handling sales objections, everything changes. What you'll find is that you actually start enjoying that part of the conversation rather than dreading it like I used to. With a bit of preparation and a bit of practice, you'll soon get to the stage where you don't get thrown every time people come up with some kind of problem or objection. And because most sales objections are very predictable, as I said, there's only seven different sales objections you're ever going to hear. Because they're predictable, it means that you can get good at handling them. It means that you'll know what to say. Then ultimately, that boils down to more sales, more money, more profits in your business. And more importantly, you're helping more people through what you're doing. So this is all about that moment, isn't it? And I like to call it the moment of truth. That moment where you've given this amazing consultation, you've wowed them with your product or service, you've done your best to give them as much value as possible. When you get to that moment, that moment of truth, when you say, would you like to hire me? Some people are going to say yes right away, while others are going to respond with questions, concerns, challenges, fears and objections. What do you do? Ultimately, this is an opportunity for you to uncover the person's true concerns and answer their questions and help them make the best possible decision. And there are two phases for handling objections. Phase one is the preparation you do right now. And phase two is the steps you follow in the moment of truth when you get an objection. So it's what you do in that time when you're in front of a client and they've just come up with some kind of objection. So let's start with the preparation phase. There are three main components for preparing to receive and overcome objections. These three foundational steps 
are incredibly important as they help strengthen your professional posture, which is so important for your success. So the first part of the preparation phase is to expect and plan. So some people might tell you that expecting a negative is making it a reality. So expecting that it might go wrong is like using the universal law of attraction and attracting that negativity, attracting that kind of result. I couldn't disagree more here. You're going to get objections. So what we need to do is accept and prepare in advance. There's nothing worse with being unprepared and feeling that you're doing something wrong or believing that nobody else is facing these kind of objections. Handling sales objections is part of the normal client enrollment process. We've got to get used to it and we've got to accept it. And what we need to remember as well is that it's normal for people to have questions and concerns and uncertainty when they're considering hiring someone. Depending on what you do, it might well be a new experience for them. Often people are also afraid of being sold to or experiencing buyer's remorse. When people have these feelings, they create an objection to avoid making a decision. It's your job to uncover the person's true concerns and help the person make a good decision. So what we've got to do is let go of our ego long enough to fully understand what they're thinking and feeling. So that's the first bit. We have to expect it and plan for it. Now let's talk about the second step of the preparation phase, which is to practice. You probably could have seen that one coming, right? If you want to be masterful, confident and comfortable with handling sales objections, the only way to get there is through practice. I'm going to give you some ideas and some techniques to handle sales objections today. But the most important thing is that you practice. You need to practice with your colleagues, your friends, your family. doesn't matter who. What you need to do is find somebody where you can go and practice that. Don't just wait until you're next in front of a client. That's a costly way of getting that practice. Find some extra time and have some practice with somebody to build your confidence. And that's probably the biggest part of it. It's not just knowing what to say. It's very much about building your confidence here. Your belief and your confidence will increase the more you practice. I know it can be hard to believe, but it's actually fun handling objections when you know exactly how to respond to every objection because you're fully prepared. The third foundational step for the preparation phase is to believe. Do you fully believe in the value that your services provide? Do you feel that your fees are completely worth the investment? This is critical in order for you to effectively handle sales objections. In fact, your belief in yourself, your service and your pricing is foundational to the success of your entire business. You must feel in your bones that you're providing useful and valuable service that's worth every penny you charge, if not much, much more. Your belief should be so strong that objections feel almost silly to you because you so believe in the value of what you provide. And when you really understand this, when you really get this, following the structure of overcoming objections will become natural and easy. And we're going to look at that structure in a moment. So expect and plan for objections. Make sure you practice and work on your belief. Do what you need to do to make that happen, whether it's using affirmations or working with a coach. Your belief in the value that you provide is foundational. Now, before we get on to how to respond to objections, let's just talk about what objections you're likely to hear. As I mentioned before, there are seven main objections. 
Now, you might hear them in all kinds of different ways, but it can pretty much be boiled down to seven different types of objection. So let's run through them. They're not in a hierarchical order here, it's just as they come. And the first one is not ready. So you might hear something like, I've got to get some things handled first, then I'll be ready. Or I'm not sure I can commit to this right now. So that's not ready. And then you've got no time. So your prospect might say, my plate is full right now. I can't take anything else on at this time. Or I'm not sure I've got time for this right now. Got no money. I can't afford it. Or, oh, that sounds expensive. I can't pay for that just now. Then you've got unsure of value. Again, this could be presented to you in a number of different ways. Somebody might say, well, I'm not sure this is for me. Or I'm not convinced this is something that's going to really help me. Or maybe I feel like I should be able to do this on my own. And that's something I get an awful lot. Particularly with coaching, people do tend to try and struggle on their own. And usually that's the biggest thing that's holding them back. Another type of objection you get is check with a third party. In that case, somebody might say, look, I want to talk about it with my spouse first. I need to talk to my husband or my wife. Or perhaps they want to talk about it with their business partner before they make a decision. Another objection you might get is that they want to think about it. So they might say to you, oh, I'm not sure right now. I need to think about that. Or maybe I never rush into decisions like this. I need to sleep on it first. And then finally, you've got interview other providers. So somebody might say to you, I'd like to speak to somebody else before I decide. Or maybe I need to get some more quotes before making the decision. So ultimately, that comes down to seven objections. So if you think back to all the reasons why people didn't go ahead, you've probably heard those things, some more than others, all said in different ways. And ultimately, what you can do is boil those seven questions down into four main categories. And these are lack of need. The prospect doesn't see the value in buying from you. It might be a lack of urgency, in which case they may see the value, but they're not ready to buy just yet. They they don't want to move forward right now. It could be lack of trust. This is probably a big one for service providers because ultimately if you deal with intangible services like consulting, where pretty much people are just buying you and the promise that you give them, then trust is probably going to be the biggest factor for them. And if you're having a conversation too early with them or if you haven't built up sufficient trust, it's going to be a major roadblock for you. And finally, you've got lack of money. So that's the fourth different category. The seven objections, they all fall within those four categories. And the reason I bring this up, actually, is that it's quite useful when you're tracking where your clients are. If you've got some kind of CRM or a spreadsheet or something where you're tracking who you're working with and where they are in your sales funnel, what you might like to do if they don't decide to go ahead is just make a note of the reason why. So for me, if somebody ends up on my radar and we have a conversation about working together, I'll always make a note on their contact record as to why they didn't go forward. So that would always be lack of need, lack of urgency, lack of trust, or lack of money. And that helps me make decisions. I'm sure it will help you make decisions as to how you're going to take that forward and the timescales around that. So those are the kind of objections that you're going to get. Be aware that some things that you might hear are simply questions and not necessarily objections. So, for example, if you run some kind of event or a program where people physically meet up and somebody says to you, well, what other dates do you do? 
That's not necessarily an objection. It's simply a question. And sometimes if we haven't got a head on straight and we're, we're expecting the worst, we can start seeing these as objections and then we go in on the defensive. So be aware that all questions are not necessarily objections. Okay, let's talk about how you can go about responding to objections. It'd be useful to know what to do, right? Well, there's a four-step process that you can use to overcome objections. And by the way, all these different processes and steps, they're in the cheat sheet, so you don't need to worry about forgetting them. There's a four-step process, and the first step is to listen and understand. Try not to anticipate too much what the client is saying. If they raise an objection or they start questioning how it works, well, you need to listen to them properly so that you fully understand what they're putting across. What you don't want to do is start jumping to conclusions and then interrupting them and trying to head it off before they've even got it out their mouths. We need to listen and understand before we do anything else. And what that will do is that that will show that you are taking them seriously. And on that note, the second step is to acknowledge. What you want to do is acknowledge that you heard the person and that you understand and appreciate their concern. Don't argue back or make the person wrong. It's only going to make them defensive and more focused on their position. So you might say something like, look, I understand how you feel, or I really appreciate your concern. Or maybe you're right, it is a big decision. And what you want to be careful of here is that you don't end up sympathising too much with their position. Your job here is simply to acknowledge their fears and their worries about moving forward. But you don't want to end up fueling their fears and their worries by over-sympathising. So, for example, if somebody says, that's a lot of money, you could say, yeah, well, I know it's a difficult time for you. Um, and I know you don't have a lot of money right now. Statements like that aren't helpful. So that's the second bit. After you've acknowledged the person, it's then time to ask what I call the magic question. Different ways of saying it, but ultimately the magic question is really asking them permission to continue the conversation. So you might put it something like, look, when we sat down together, I said to you, I'm not going to give the hard sell. We can do one of two things right now. We can either talk a little more and perhaps I can address your concern or we could wrap right up now. Which would you prefer? Another example would be, so Bob, would you like me to let you go right now or should we talk about this a little bit more? Now don't let the simplicity of the magic question fool you into thinking it is not important. The funny thing here with this question is that you're actually giving them an out. You're saying to them, look, it's no pressure. If you don't want to do business, we don't do business. But what you'll find is that 90% of people, when you invite them to continue the conversation, 90% of people will say yes to continue that conversation. In its very simplest form, you might say to them, can I ask you a question about that? Asking for permission to continue is a very useful skill, and it's something that you want to thread throughout your consultations, but particularly at the objection phase. You want to ask for permission to continue because that will open doors for you. Asking permission to continue is so powerful. It gives your prospect a choice and people love choices. It puts them in control. It shows that it is their decision. It builds trust. It allows you to keep your promise to not sell to them. And it allows the prospect to invite you to continue. And the other thing it does is it shows you that you're unattached to the outcome. That for you, this isn't just about money at all costs. This is about making sure that the client gets what they need. Really, really important. 
Now, when I first started doing this, and I, in fact, I learned it from Michelle Chavnel, who was a coach that I worked with previously. And one of the responses that I got quite often is, yeah, I'm happy to talk. I'm just not sure what good that's going to do because their position was what their position was. But note what they said there, happy to talk, meaning, yes, I'm ready to continue the conversation. So don't focus on what good that's going to do. Instead, continue the conversation and get into solving their problem or overcoming that objection. So that's step three of responding to objections. Once you've done that, it's then about getting on and addressing their particular objection. Part of that might be to discover the real issue or concern. And this is where the white lie comes in. Quite often when people say to you they can't afford it, or they give you some other kind of reason, sometimes that might just be the easiest thing to say when there are other things going on. They're just not sure if they want to get into that right now. So you need to discover if this is the real issue, and then you can get on with solving their problem. So you might say something like, do you know what, sometimes people say to me that they can't afford it. But what I often find when I've had a chat with them a little bit is that there's sometimes something else behind it as well. So when you say you can't afford it, is it you flat out can't afford it, got no money, or is there something else that you're worried about? So like that, you can get to the true objection, and then you just continue to ask their permission to carry on. So you say things like, would you like me to go on? Or would you like me to talk some more? Maybe ask a question. Can I challenge you a little bit on that? Or I'm curious about this. Can you tell me more about that? Help them overcome that problem. And then what you want to do is authentically share why you believe that the best decision the person could make right now is to invest in your services. Say it with utmost confidence and then you need to ask for the business again. I mentioned how important practice is earlier. One of the things that's probably going to help you with this is to script your objections. Often when people say they're not ready or they don't have enough time, it's an excuse or a way to cover their real concern. If you get these objections, you need to find out what the real issue is that's holding them back. So it's a good idea to script them out. In fact, what I'll do is I'll add a script to the cheat sheet today so that you can get that too. So let's just go through an example around the not ready objection. Let's suppose, for the sake of example here, you're an osteopath. So you might say, so Sarah, do you want to hire me to be your osteopath so you can get back to a pain-free and active life? A client might say, look, it sounds good, but I'm not sure I'm ready to commit yet. Maybe in the future. So that's where the first step comes in. We need to listen. Step two is to acknowledge. You're right, Sarah. If you want this to work for you, it is a commitment. You are going to have to show up for your appointments. The next step, step three, is to ask the magic question. So you might say, Sarah, I made a commitment to you at the beginning of today that I wasn't going to give you the hard sell or pressure you in any way. Do you want me to just let you go right now, or do you want to talk about this for a little bit? What do you mean talk about it? Well, I want to challenge you a little bit, but it's up to you. It sounds to me that you're really fed up with these constant headaches, and it's affecting you in a number of ways. Can I ask you a question about that? Client says, okay. Step four is address the objection. So you might say, what exactly do you mean by you're not ready to commit yet? Client says, well, I think in a couple of months might be better. I've got a lot on my plate right now and I don't want to take anything on that's new. So you might say to the client, look, I'm confused. You just spent the last half an hour with me telling me how important this is to you. You said that being pain-free would dramatically improve your life 
You told me you've been putting up with these headaches for the last six months. You're fed up with them. They keep you awake. They're making you miserable. What's changed in the last five minutes? So your client might come back with something like, well, when you put it that way, I just need to get a few things in order first. So you might say, okay, what do you need to get in order? Well, I just feel like I've got a lot going on right now and I just want to get some time before I start something new. Sarah, would you mind if I'm direct? People often feel like they've got to get their house in order before they can address what's really important. In its purest form, this is fear. I'm not making you wrong. It's common and you see it all the time. I just feel that it's my responsibility to point this out for you. In fact, my clients often find they have more energy. They get more done when they're no longer experiencing chronic pain throughout the day. Sarah, I know I can help you. Should we get this done? And that's just one example about how you might script that out. The way that you say things and how you challenge people may be totally different to the way that I would. It needs to fit your personality. But essentially, if you follow the four-step process that I described, you're very likely to get the client to open up to continue that conversation. And there's a heck of a lot more chance of you getting them to say yes at the end of it. Okay, now we could probably go into a lot of detail around all the different seven objections, but there's just not time for it. So what I want to do with you is to talk about the most common objection, or the one that I find most people worry about the most, and that's about dealing with money objections. Objections around money and budget are tricky. They are rarely what they appear to be. So when a prospect says they can't afford it, as we said before, it could be the white lie. There could be a number of different reasons. But if you're not sure which type of money objection it is, then you can clarify through just asking questions. So you might say, what makes you say that? Or can you tell me a little bit more about what's behind that? Or perhaps, in what way is money going to be a problem? So money objections, different types of objections. So you've got the honest pushback. So for example, somebody might say, well, that's a lot. Can you do it for less? So this is the honest pushback. And they're thinking, look, I just want you to cut the price. I often ask this, and I'm usually good at getting these prices down. And then you've got the bluff. So somebody might say, I don't have that kind of money. There must be a way that we can do it for less. So what they're thinking is, look, I do have the money, but I want to see how low I can get you. And then we've got the value challenge. Remember, we talked about value earlier. They can't see the value. Well, here, money might be obscuring the real reasons that they don't see the value. And so they might say, look, that's expensive. This is going to be a problem. And what they're really thinking is, look, I don't understand why we need to spend so much. It doesn't seem worth it. Something else people might bring up around money is competitive pressure. This is where they say, this is more expensive than other quotes I've looked at. So there's a few things that might be going on in their head. And it's a good idea to work out, okay, so what is it that they're thinking? Because that helps you decide what's the best way to tackle the question or best way to tackle the objection. So it might be true and they're looking to understand why. Or possibly it is true and they're looking to use it as some kind of bargaining chip to get your prices down. Or maybe it's just not true. and It's something they're saying just to add a little bit of pressure. Money questions around budget are very common. This is where somebody might say, well, look, it seems that money's going to be a problem. This is just not in my budget. Now, that might be true or it might not be. So it might be true and they're looking to see what you can work out for them. Or, as with competitor pressure, they're looking to use it as a bargaining chip. Or, again, it might not be true, and it's something they're saying just add a little bit of pressure so they can get that much better a deal. A couple of other types of money questions. 
And remember, these all boil down to that main objection which you talked about earlier, no money. So another example is when they actually reverse direction on you. So they might say, that's too much money. Come back to me if you think there's something better that you can do. They might be bluffing with this, in which case they'll be expecting you to call them back and, and give them a lower price. Or it might be that it's very genuine, they're not bluffing, and they want to buy it. They just hope that you can offer them a lower price. As a rule, I would say, don't offer people lower prices. Instead, what you want to do is bring out extra features. Talk about the value that you offer. You can throw new things into it if you like, but never cut the price. And if you've got to cut the price, well, what you probably want to do is to cut the service as well. So if you say, look, you know, I can do it for you at half the price if you want, but that means that you won't get this, this, and this. And then the other one, as I've said before, is the white lies. This is where money is a mask for a non-money problem. So they say to you, I can't afford it. And they're really thinking, I have a number of things going on right now and a number of things holding me back. It's just easier if I say this. So there's lots of different ways that people might ask the money question. What you need to do is follow that four-step process. Listen to them first. Acknowledge them. Ask the magic question and then deal with the objection. Get on to problem solving. What you want to remember as well once you've done that is don't just leave it hanging at the end of that. Make sure that you go back and ask them again, do you want to buy this? Should we start? When should we get going with this? Now there are some critical success factors for handling objections. And these are things that you want to think about all of the time when you're with a client. So the first thing is to get permission. It's incredibly important throughout the objection phase to continue to get permission to continue. So you'll notice in the script that I'm going to give you, constantly looking to ask permission. So things like, can I ask you about that? Do you mind if I challenge you on that? Do you want to talk about this some more? What this does is allows the person to be in control. It gives them choice. And what it does is it helps you build your confidence because they're inviting you to continue. So get permission. And be prepared to challenge them or hold them to some kind of higher standard. Do you believe that what you do and what you offer is of genuine benefit to them? Do you truly believe it will enhance their life somehow? If the answer is yes, then don't let your prospects off the hook. If they're genuinely going to benefit from what you do, then you are doing them a disservice by not persisting with it. And as you do this, and you'll see it in the example script that I'm going to give you, tap into the pleasure and pain. Remember, sales is all about pleasure and pain. It's about the pain they're in right now and the problem that you can solve and the pleasure it will be when they've got that problem solved by you. And you are the vehicle to make that happen. By tapping into the pleasure and pain and combining it with the challenging that I described a moment ago, you're going to help them take action. And something else that you want to do as well is speak from experience. And this is about your professional posture. It's important and powerful to remind the person of your knowledge and expertise. I don't mean you should reel off a load of qualifications that you've got. If they want to know that kind of stuff, they'll ask. But what I mean is making comments like, it's been my experience, or I've worked with dozens and dozens of clients like you, um, and let me think of another one. Maybe you might say, yes, I understand that you might feel that way. This is something that's really, really common. And then you go on to address their concern. So what this does, when you bring in your experience to it, it generally reminds the person that they're in good hands. 
They're dealing with a professional. Now, have you heard the expression, fake it till you make it? Well, when you're with a client in a consultation, what you want to be doing is acting as if you've been working with them perhaps for six months or so. Act as if you are already good colleagues. What this will do is it will help you feel more confident, but also it will put you at your best. You will be more comfortable, you'll be more direct, you'll be more honest and open. Your goal here is to help them make a decision together with you. As if you're business partners making the decision together. So you might say something like, look, Frank, I only want what's best for you. You wouldn't make a good client if you was unsure about this. So let's think about this together. I don't need to feel like you've got to make this decision alone. I genuinely have your best interests at heart, whether you decide to work with me or not. Can I help you make a decision that's best for you? Well, we have covered an awful lot. And just a couple more things I want to share with you before we start wrapping up. And the one thing that comes out almost as a benefit of behaving as if you've been working together for six months or so, is this whole thing about being a little bit more honest and having more courage to say what you're really thinking. So when a client says to you, yeah, well, I need to think about it some more, it was a good idea to say what comes to mind. So if somebody says to you, I need to think about it, don't you wonder what the person needs to think about? And sometimes it's just that little gentle push they need to make a decision. What we can't underestimate here is that a buying decision is sometimes very scary for people, particularly if it's a big investment or if it's something that they're not used to doing. Or maybe they've just got a lot going on in their lives right now and so they're coming from an extra fearful place. Your job is to help them make a decision. If somebody comes to me and they've got some kind of problem in their business or they, they want to ramp things up a little bit, if I feel that I can help them, well, I'd do my damnedest to make sure that that did happen. So you need to find some courage and you need to be brave. You need to ask more questions and to challenge them a little bit about their thinking. Because very usually, they're just coming from a fearful place right now. And once they've made that decision, they are very unlikely to look back. The fear of buyer's remorse is much less than the reality. We have a natural tendency to defend all of our buying decisions. So if you think about that kitchen gadget you bought last year at some kind of exhibition you went to, might be the kitchen gadget, might be something else, but you saw it, you thought it was really good, you thought you absolutely needed it, and then when you bought it, you never really used it. But if anybody asks you about it afterwards, you'll defend your position, you'll defend your decision to buy that at that time. Because it's the natural thing to do, we defend our buying decisions. You don't have to worry that you're being too pushy. As long as it's coming from the right place, your intention is to help them make a decision that's going to improve their lives, helping them overcome their objections and make a buying decision is a good thing. It really is. So it's time that we wrap things up today. Well, I've covered loads with you today. I really hope it's been useful for you. Um, let me just remind you about the cheat sheet that I put together for you. I've really gone to town on it because I wanted to make it really, really useful. So what I've done is I've put in the seven main objections. So not ready, no time. I've given you some examples about what they would be. Um, I'll talk about the four categories of sales objections, which was the, the lack of need, urgency, trust, and money. More detail on all of that there. I've outlined in the worksheet the magic question, what it is, how to ask it. I've given some examples there. 
and given you the four-step process that you can use to respond to objections. So that's really good. I think just that itself, if you follow that, that's going to make a massive difference for you. It really is. And what you'll find in the cheat sheet is that I've really broken down that one around, I can't afford it. So I've got into dealing with money objections, what to do about it, what kind of problems you're going to get, and what's behind it. And that way you can think about how you're going to respond to it. Even if you take away just 10% of what we shared today, it should make a massive difference for you. Now, before the show goes live, I'm going to add that script that I talked about earlier. I'm going to give an example of a sales script so that you can see how you can map that out. And then that'll give you something that you can go away and practice with, with your friends or your families or your colleagues. Remember, practice is perfect. Practice makes everything get better and everything easier. And to help you do that as well, I've put together an exercise for you to start thinking about the objections that you've had in the past, things that you might have, and how you're going to respond to those. If you want to get your hands on that, you need to go to my show notes page, which is on my website at getrealaboutbusiness.com forward slash seven. Let me remind you again, the critical success factors here, you need to expect and plan for objections. It really is important. What you do up front is the stuff that makes it easier when you're live in front of a client. And most clients will only ever give you one chance. If you do it live and you screw it up too badly, there's a good chance your client will never, ever give you a chance to have that consultation again. Make it count, and the way you make it count is through the practice and the preparation you do up front. Now, if today has been useful, I'd really, really appreciate it if you could do something for me. This show is on iTunes at the moment, and it would really be helpful if you could do me a favour and go on iTunes and leave a review for me. Just leave an honest review about what you felt of today. Hopefully it's all been good for you. Uh, but if you leave a review, that's really going to help me in the ranking so that my podcast gets found by other people and we can help more people that way. I'd really appreciate if you could do that. Next episode is going to be awesome. And it kind of links into what we're talking about before, because next time what we're going to talk about is assertiveness in action. So this is about how you get more of what you want, your confidence and your assertiveness around dealing with people, dealing with clients, dealing with sales conversations, and dealing with objections. All of this builds up a picture to other people about how good you are at what you do. If you get it right, it will give them confidence and they'll want to work with you. Key to getting more of what you want are relationships. The better we deal with people, the more influence we have over them and the more control we have over everyday situations. In episode eight of the Get Real About Business podcast, I'm going to be talking about coping with difficult people. I'm going to give you 10 difficult behavior types and how to deal with them. You're going to love that. You really are. And there's also a load of stuff we're going to do together around your assertiveness and your confidence. You're going to love it. I wish you a massive success on handling yourselves objections. I've been Clive Maloney. I'm out.